You understand, Captain, that this mission does not exist. On five. Nor will it ever exist. You understand, Captain, that this mission does not exist. Nor will it ever exist. This week's episode of the Plants Are People 2 podcast was painstakingly brought to you from the year 2044 by Friends with Seeds. In the future, what do you know today is money, currency, etc. and does not exist. The only currencies in the future are seeds. Every seed is different and genetics of our native plants becomes extremely important after humanity zeroes out. Get out into the woods, yard, park, whatever you have and start learning the plants around you and their different characteristics. Your future could depend on it. Research I did over the summer um, with a grant from the New England Botanical Society. Thank you to them for funding a little research um, project that I've been thinking about for a long time. Uh, a quick synopsis of that is uh, I had been I had seen this plant in Massachusetts in probably 2014. Um, and it was the first time I'd ever seen it. It was pretty big. Uh, Collinsonia canadensis or Canada horse balm. It's in the mint family. Uh, it has orange, like maybe they're half inch long flowers. Uh, zygomorphic white uh, lower petal that kind of fans out with uh, little strings on it, uh, like little appendages. And it has two, the anthers come out, sort of like two alien antenna come right out of the mouth of that thing. Um, and if you crush up the leaves, they smell really good. There was uh, an herbal use for them back in the day, but I was suspicious when I looked up this plant um, because I was living in Vermont and it was seemingly, at least 
from my recollection, which isn't great, um, from the Go Botany website, that this plant was historical in Vermont. And so I was kind of surprised by that um, because it wasn't listed as, you know, rare or threatened in Massachusetts. And, you know, there's plants don't understand political boundaries. So there had to be some some population of that plant existing in Vermont. Um, and I just had to find it. And when I went down, uh, took a trip down to North Carolina last September, I that plant was everywhere. Like, in went to Natural Bridge. There's a whole episode on it if you want to backtrack. It's probably one of the, the episodes from September or October of last year. Um, but it was everywhere, and I was noticing it with Laportia, and I was starting trying to... That's Canada wood nettle, Laportia canadensis. I was trying to connect what habitats I was seeing it in down there to try to find it in Vermont. And so over the winter, I applied for the grant with the Botanical Society. They liked the project idea. And my project idea was to find, originally to find the historical known populations of that plant, find the abutters, and then do plant surveys for this plant. Um, when I reached out to the state, I actually found out that they, the Go Botany site wasn't as up to date as their records, and so he, the state botanist for Vermont sent me the Artini species list for the state, and it was actually listed as um, an R, uh, S1 species, which is uh, 10 populations or fewer, and I think, or it's maybe it was an S2 and there were 11 populations, but or 10 of them were only only had known plants at them and one of them was historical um, you know occurrence of that plant so I started with that information um, had that you know the addresses for those people on the element occurrence uh, database that the state provided to me um, and so from there, I didn't want to find, I didn't want to go look at the existing populations. I wanted to find new populations of those, of this plant. So what I did was I GIS'd um, all the abutters. I sort of looked at who is in Vermont A&R Atlas. New Hampshire has one called Granite, G-R-A-N-I-T. Massachusetts has one called Oliver. If you sort of Google Oliver, Granite, or Vermont A&R Atlas, uh, you come up with the GIS database for the entire state, and you can look at, uh, you know, parcel boundaries, um, information, landowner information, taxes, whatever you want. There's a whole bunch of public information out there. So I found, I think I sent out 30 or 40 letters with my initial round of submissions um, or requests for permission to go survey these properties. And I got back um, probably three or four uh, positive responses of people who would let me come out and take a look at their property. Um, and so then I did one round of surveys, found a bunch of plants, and I actually have to give a, a shout out to um, someone who helped me find some plants. His name is uh, James, who helped me find... He actually sent me a photo on Instagram to ID a plant for him. And it happened to be the plant that I was looking for, and he was in Vermont. And I was like, hey, where is that? Um, and it wasn't on the known list of populations of plants, so I started my surveys there. And that was in the town of Arlington. Um, it was public land, so I didn't get a permission to go look at those plants. Um, but I did GPS points of all of them, and there were hundreds of plants in this one location. Uh, James was kind enough to put me in touch with the abutter of that property who gave me permission to check out their property. Um, I didn't find anything there, but at the end of their property line, right over the edge, I could see a little wetland with these indicator plants that I was talking about in the last episode. Um, looking for certain plants to, in order to indicate for other plants, and the plants I was looking for in this um, particular area that I was noticing occurred all the time were uh, musclewood, which is Carpinus virginiana, um, or I'm sorry, Carpinus caroliniana, uh, 
Elymis hysterix, which is bottle brush grass, um, ostrich ferns, um, smilax herbacea, which is uh, smooth carrion flower, a little vine that's really cool. Um, there was the blue wood aster, zigzag goldenrod, uh, blue stem goldenrod, and I'm trying to probably there's some gooseberries. I forget, I didn't look up which gooseberry it was. I, that was sort of a minor thing. Uh, white snake root was everywhere. So all of those plants sort of started. Once I, I would do like a little checklist if I was seeing them. The, the two that really made a difference, I think, were bottle brush grass and ostrich fern. If I was looking at a particular uh, landowner's parcel and I wanted to look in a place where I thought that they would most likely occur, I would look for uh, the wetter area next to a stream or riparian zone with ostrich fern and bottle brush grass. And so I started, that sort of gave me, with the number of plants there, I was able to get a good sense of what I was, like my search image and what I was looking for and the habitat I was looking for. Uh, but right across that at Butters property, there was um, a decent population right on the edge of the Batten Kill. Uh, and that landowner that I also thought was public property um, it's owned by the wildlife or the trust for wildlife is the name of that organization and I actually reached out to them after I found it I didn't go very far into the property it was very close to where I was already and um, I did map those ones I reached out to them and they sent me a nasty email <laughs> and they said normally scientists ask for permission before they do their research on our property and I was like, hey, it was right over the line. I happened to be there. I thought you'd just want to know. Um, and so that was a surprising reaction from the Trust for Wildlife. So if anyone from the Trust for Wildlife is listening, uh, feel free to reach out again because I haven't heard from you all in a bit. And maybe it was just a bad day. Um, so there was two huge populations there. And then, so that was my first round of sort of looking at stuff. Uh, and then I did the abutters off the abutting properties of where I found locations. There were actually two others, one down in Pownall, two in Pownall, Bennington, that area. And those were, one I actually found surprisingly, it had the ostrich fern, had the bottle brush grass, had the carpinus, um, but it was up the side of a mountain, uh, you know, this pretty steep hill in a little wetter area where they had done some logging and there were just a few few plants there, so five or six. Um, and so that led me to getting into the other prop properties that were abutting that. And so that was my second round of, of letters. And I also reached out to, I really wanted to find it in like Wyndham and Windsor County because um, that's really where they didn't have any known populations for those plants. So it was mostly in the western counties, uh, the southernmost western counties of Vermont. And then there were some up north, which I didn't include in my research, only because uh, limited funding. So I had to sort of have a scope and I had to narrow it down into something I could actually handle with my regular workload in the summer. Um, and I think I picked a pretty decent, like, you know, area to cover on my own. Um, so the success from getting those additional landowners interested, um, I did find this really nice couple uh, up in Pownall, that Bennington area. Um, let me go out and look in their land. I found uh, the Fengrass of Parnassus, which is a really pretty flower. I had never seen those in the, in the wild before. Um, they're white with sort of green, really intricate colored petals. Um, basil round leaves they kind of I think if they weren't in flower you'd think they were some sort of like aquatic plant um, they like the really wet areas um, but then I, I was seeing these in uh, it would have been late August so uh, but there were hundreds of these plants flowering and the landowner didn't know what they were and uh, after I ID'd them um, he was pretty psyched so I started this was a bigger property it was probably like almost a hundred acres and I spent a lot of the day walking up a piece of property that sort of wasn't the right habitat and I my plan was to come down through this gully 
uh, with a stream running through it and find it in there. And it took me almost to the end of the day. I started seeing Laportia and I started, it started coming into the right habitat. So I started seeing ostrich fern and the bottle brush grass. And then Laportia was there, which is an extreme lookalike for this Can Consonia canadensis. Um, and I've seen it growing amongst it in North Carolina. So I was, I really looked more closely to see if I could find it. And I started, I found one or two plants um, that were sort of hiding up on the, the toe of the hillside. And then I started finding hundreds and hundreds of plants and they were all over uh, sort of like in the wood line edge of this field right next to this guy's house. So like I could see my car from where all these plants were occurring and I could have just walked straight away from my car and walked into this population. But it was, you know, I, I would have missed the Phenopernissus grass and a bunch of other cool plants I saw there. So um, I don't regret like taking the walk on the 100 acres and seeing what I saw. You can't wait. So that was a really exciting project just to plan and be a part of. I'm sort of in my mapping phase now. Um, and I actually don't know the exact number of plants I found. I had a GPS with me and I was marked. Sometimes I would mark a group of plants. Um, or I would mark, if it was a small enough population, I would mark, uh, you know, them individually so I would know how many exactly were there. But the place in Arlington and the place in uh, North Bennington or Connell, um, I sort of marked that as a big group because the number of plants that I would have had to count was astronomical. Um, but so part of my research goal there was to, you know, find out actually how many populations of these plants were occurring in places where we know they're occurring to get a real handle on how this population is doing uh, you know in a certain area and I think with you know the data that I found um, and the number of new populations I think they're probably going to move this to being an uncommon plant and depending on I mean my sample size was very small I had you know, I sent out enough letters that my sample size should, should have been decent, but almost every property that I went to that responded to me had that plant growing on it, on the property. So, you know, I would think that if any of those other property owners got back to me, I would, you know, also find that plant growing on their property somewhere uh, based on the data, the plant, you know, connectedness that I found. So those species that indicate for other plants and then the use finding the waterway or the wetter area um, and really focusing on those places on those properties they i don't know what the state's going to do when i report all this information to the new england botanical society or the state if they're going to change the designation on that plant to be an s3 or an uncommon plant or maybe they're going to make it fairly widespread and it's not listed at all um the other scenario here is, I mean, the original scenario that was like lurking in the back of my mind was that some of these plants are going to be escaped garden plants, but I don't, nobody's really growing this plant in the garden that I know of. Almost nobody even knows what this plant is. Um, one of the vendors at the, the Halloween Native Plant Conference sells like paintings of plants framed up and everything. And I saw Colin Sony and I was like, oh, Colin Sony, I'm doing research on that. And she was like, wow, nobody ever knows what that one is. And so that's a, you know, that's a signal to me that like, maybe there was some botanist living in Arlington that planted this plant in, you know, this little area that's there. And it's spread over a number of years. But the fact that I found it at that other place up the side of a mountain, um, which, is an unlikely place where these seeds would have ended up unless you know a bird carried them there which you know to me is like natural you know distribution of these seeds so i don't know how they i don't know how they go about determining you know what what constitutes uh an escaped plant or uh you know, a non-native native plant 
that's not known from a certain county. Um, and what I'd actually like to do is if anyone out there, I've emailed Arthur Haynes, who has, who put together and compiled, I'm sure with a bunch of other people, um, the Flora Nova Angle for the flora for Vermont, for uh, New England. And I really want to talk to him about like what, you know, what constitutes a escaped garden plant? Is it a distance thing to a garden? Um, is it, you know, the fact that are we looking at herbarium records from, you know, 150 years ago and using that to really be our baseline about what should be where and, you know, what about plants that get, you know, moved by a bird or a, an animal or something else to a new location that's a new population? Like, are we calling that an escaped garden plant or are we calling it? natural new occurrence of plants so I, I'd like I have a bunch of questions for him especially because I found uh, let's see three three species that I was surprised to see in certain areas but I've never seen in Vermont before and I'm curious if they're actual new populations of these rare plants or if they're you know planted garden escapees because the three plants are uh, Physocesia virginiana which is uh, obedient plant um, Helenium autumnale which is the sneezeweed and Vernonia uh, what is it it's it starts with Nova the tail end of that but it's, um, it's New York ironweed so those three plants, you know, technically the Helenium is a S1 plant in Vermont, so very few known populations of that. Vernonia isn't even known to occur in the county that I found it in, uh, and it's also, it might be a historical plant in, in Vermont. And then the other one, uh, Physocetia, I actually found on Greenmount National Forest property. That one is within you know, I shot of an old, old farmhouse foundation. And, but there's like nothing else that's non-native growing around there. There's a patch of blue iris and um, it's kind of, it's a, it's a managed area. So they're burning it on a regular occasion, you know, every five years or so. They're, they're keeping it a field, it's a meadow. Um, oh, there's also, there's some like uh, ivy there, some non-native ivy, or vinca, vinca's growing through there. So there is evidence of like some sort of planted vegetation, probably from that farmhouse. But it makes me wonder like, you know, maybe that physostesia is from native seeds that were harvested, you know, 100 years ago or 150 years ago and put there. And so, would that constitute as a native, you know, nat like naturally occurring population of this plant? Because that's also an S1 or S2 plant in Vermont. And so those would be, and there's a bunch of them there. There's like hundreds of plants. So I'm curious to talk to somebody who sort of like, you know, has this, I've read different threads where Arthur has been answering like, oh, this is known. I sent a letter to Green Mountain National Forest just letting them know about that plant as well as two others that I found in the wetland behind my house, which is um, on their property. And so like, you know, and they said that some of those, like one of them was musk monkey flower. Um, I forget the, the species and genus on that right now, but it's a yellow, it looks just like a, the purple monkey flower, Mimulus. Um, and it, I think it used to be a mimulus, but now it's been moved to another genus. Um, but it's like a yellow version of that, and it's sort of like a creeping ground cover underneath in a wetland. Um, I found that in flower, uh, a bunch of them in there, and they said they sort of find that everywhere now. So that's not really on Green Mountain National Forest in ditches and stuff. So that one's not really like on their radar, but it's an uncommon plant in Vermont. And the other one that I found in that was uh, Gallium trifidum, which is the three-petaled uh, gallium, which is a cleavers or bedstraw um, plant. 
and that one is uncommon. She she knew less about that in terms of uh, its status in Greenmount National Forest, but she really focuses on that. She did say that I think Arthur Haynes uh, determined that one of the Physostegia populations that was found in Greenmount National Forest was thought to be uh, a garden escapee. So those three I want to talk to somebody about and just see you know it just brought up a lot of questions about what does this mean how are these plants determined to be this are we basing our information on you know herbarium specimens from a really long time ago and just thinking about you know I know that society was more connected to plants probably back then um but it makes me wonder, you know, the number of plants that I've found on random properties that are our species, or like the story I told about finding the uh, horse gentian, the perfoliate horse gentian in uh, North Carolina, and that guy doesn't remember ever having seen one before, or he didn't remember the last time he saw it. Like, there's our herbarium samples have to have holes in them and so you know are have we really collected like every plant that existed in every county in every town and every area and put them into herbarium samples and that's what we're basing our information on or are we basing our information on you know our today's information on information that has holes in it and gaps and wasn't complete to begin with and so really you know we should be thinking about this as like a dynamic um, dynamic ecosystem where things are changing all the time and you know we should be looking at the areas and the plants that we have especially the RTE species I mean it, it blows my mind that there's not somebody who doesn't work for the state and if the state's listening I'm happy to to work work for you and do this but or if anyone else wants to fund research to make this happen like there's so many plants that we could just find you know we have the data on current populations find those current populations do what i did with colonsonia find all the abutters send out letters maybe you only get five or ten percent of them back but go out and survey those properties and then start to get a better picture of the plant populations in our local ecosystems and areas and habitats and see actually what the RTE species are and then we can start focusing our you know habitat restoration efforts um, seed banking efforts uh, you know reintroduction efforts on plants that actually need it instead of you know I don't I don't know how it works right now which would be a great conversation to have but um you know focusing on plants that maybe don't need to be focused on as much and you know bringing awareness especially i mean it's so valuable to go out to a landowner's property and you know most of the time they want to go with you because they want to try to learn something about what they're seeing out in the woods which i am all for um getting them invested in taking care of their property and loving the plants and the animals and amphibians and insects and everything that's happening on their property and getting them to see how special it could be um, you know and then that brings up like with the the seed stuff I know that there's a lot of questions about planting you know let's say we had plant in Vermont or New Hampshire or Maine that was rare but in Massachusetts it's not so if I go down there and harvest some seeds and then plant those seeds at my house in Vermont and if there was a population of that rare plant around me somewhere is that population getting diluted by the genetics of that population getting diluted by the genetics of the plant that I brought up there and introduced um, or is it making it stronger is it making it more resilient is that you know genetic exchange actually helping the species and what are you know what is our role in that or can you stop anyone from doing that first of all um, and is there any real data to show that 
you know, doing something like that is a detriment to a native population in Vermont. Um, I know, I think NEBC was, or New England Botanical Society was talking about the uh, people growing rhodiola, rosia, in you know, that potentially getting cross-pollinated with native populations. Um, like, I grew some of that this this spring. I got it to germinate, got it to grow up. It didn't. It's not really doing well right now. Um, we'll see if they come back next season, but I, I don't think there's any rhodiola species around me, so um, I'm not really worried about it. I'm more interested in, like, learning about the plants and plants that I can't really see. So these seeds were from, I think I got them from Prairie Moon or somewhere that was selling rhodiola seeds um but also like you know we're already sort of doing that with you know common plants there's a lot of exchange of genetic material happening i'm almost 100 percent sure with you know asters or you know actually you know what there probably isn't a lot of that because nobody sells native plants which is a huge problem <laughs> but if they were selling native plants um, in quantity to people, you know, bringing in something like pink corydalis, which is a native plant that I bought locally here um, and planted on my own property. I've also collected seeds of that to sow and like grow my own plants of that. But if I had that growing near me, which I don't, um, would that deplete or strengthen, you know, the native population of that plant? And is it hurting it or helping it? So. There's a lot of questions that I think would be a great episode for um, Arthur Haynes to come in on and just like weigh in and have some thoughts. So I've sent him an email. Uh, I haven't heard back yet, but if any of you have any connections um, or can, you know, put a bug in his ear to reach out to me to come on the show and answer some questions about native plants and distributions and genetics and our species and how like common thinking on what that is that would be great uh, I would appreciate that um, another interesting story um, I was working for this landowner that I did work for in 2019 and we did a whole habitat restoration project in this like 30 acre wetland um, huge buckthorns like glossy buckthorns you know three or four inches all along the edges and then the center had smaller plants uh, they were smaller in diameter but tall and a lot of like little seedling plants underneath uh, a lot of reed canary grass some um, a lot of native plants too and so this was our follow-up treatment here I mean it looked really good we spent a lot of time cut stumping which is just severing the buckthorns uh, at their base and then dabbing the cambium the living part of the tissue with a little herbicide with a buckthorn blaster uh, looks like a bingo dabber we do that and so that limits really overspray into the wetlands um, this was in New Hampshire so there New Hampshire is very like uh, strict about their wetlands. I had to pull permits to do this work. So um, we were back there doing a follow-up treatment, which I was psyched to be there because it, you could see all the native plants coming back, um, really starting to take over and crowd out some of the buckthorn that was there. And then with the added help of a little chemical to like further knock that back and have those native plants take over even more. As we were gritting uh, through this little wetland area, sort of noticed these bluish, baby blue, white, um, zygomorphic flowers growing along the edge of this pool. You know, we had a drought year in Vermont this year, so all of the waterways, a lot of them were dry, or at least very low um, in the amount of water that they had, so the, the water was down a lot. So it probably wasn't down that far when, in 2019 when I saw it, but I don't know that I would have noticed it anyway. Um, but that, this plant is called uh, Lindernia dubia, and it is a uh, small, you'd almost miss it, 
if you know, I, I would have almost missed it. I actually had a hard time finding it again. Um, opposite leaved, and they in in Korea, this plant is actually you know it's a native plant for New England, um, and it's actually rare in New Hampshire. I believe it's rare in Vermont as well, um, and. The landowner in this situation didn't want me to say anything about it, or the forester uh, didn't want to get involved in the whole like going out to survey a thing or whatever. And I was like, whatever. So he, but at least he knows about it. So he, like he's he's uh, you know, and it's in a wetland, so like nothing I know about it. I'll probably be the one that goes back there in the future. So there's not really any risk of that plant going anywhere. Um, or getting, you know, you know, dying out in any way because we'll, I'm going to be there to, to like, you know, have something to say for that stand up for that plant in that area. Oh, but it would have been nice to be able to let the state of New Hampshire know about it. Um, but in Korea, this plant is a uh, invasive agricultural pest and it takes over like fields everywhere, which I think is kind of funny because you know, it goes both ways. We have a lot of the plants that we have here are from uh, Europe or Asia, and um, they take over our habitats because they don't have any natural competition. They don't have any natural insects that, um, you know, eat them, keep them in check. No mammals. Uh, there's no herbivory for mammals on those those plants so they can kind of do whatever they want and that's why we have invasive plants here the same goes for Korea apparently with some of our plants and it's funny that the plant that we have that's invasive in Korea and I'm sure there's others but this one is like a rare plant here and it was like super special for me to find it and if I went to Korea I would just you know everyone's like sick of it like killing it so um it's funny how things happen like that and um, also the funny about how landowners can either be really psyched and want to know where it is and like they're so happy that you want to like let the state know about it and they're gonna like you know they're gonna have attention paid to that site um, and then some landowners they they don't want to and I actually think the forester intervened in this situation I feel like if I had talked to them directly um, they probably would have let us report that to the state um, it was really the forester's perspective on the whole situation with having to go through the surveys and like them not finding it and all this stuff and I just I kind of see it as a fun thing and I actually offered to do it they still didn't want to do it so um Anyway, there are good people out there who want to preserve plants, and I assume that's why you're listening to this podcast. Um, so if you are interested in plants, uh, want to grow native seeds, want native seeds, want to learn more about the New England uh, ecosystem, habitat, some of the plants you could find there, um, also listen to some like really weird intros uh this is the podcast for you and i also have if you want to reach out to me you can feel free to reach out to plants or people to podcast at gmail.com i'm on instagram at plants.r.people.2 and you can feel free to send me a dm i get back to like everybody that sends messages to me tag me in a comment or a, a post for me to check it out or ID it or whatever. Um, I do have native seeds uh, for sale. So mostly the Vermont, Western Massachusetts, uh, New Hampshire ecotypes. Uh, I have a whole list. I probably have 40 or 50 species on there. So if you're interested in native plants or you're looking for something um, that you can't find because for some reason, nobody really sells native plant seeds there's a few out there but um you know there are always the things that are really like 
interesting somebody wants to grow them for a particular reason or they have some sort of like medicinal value or you know there's some kind of cultivar or nativar or I don't know they're just popular seeds I have things that aren't necessarily popular um, but are cool plants because they're just cool they look cool they have cool flowers um, they fulfill some ecological niche for larvae or insects or pollinators and so that's I'm really trying to get native seeds into of species that are hard to find that grow around us um, and nobody's really providing so I'm trying to fill that niche for anyone who wants them um, it's all based on donation so I'm not selling seeds for any particular cost you sort of pay what you can pay um, and that's going to go into a little uh, research fund for next summer which um, my next idea research project is similar to the Colonsonia canadensis project um, <clears throat> is to find uh, trichostoma so trichostoma is one of my pet plants uh, decodemum I want to find brachiatum and so that particular plant is historical and it is listed as historical um, I suspect that much like the Lindernia and um, the Colonsonia they're getting overlooked and they're not you know I think we probably have those populations here um, they're somewhere and somebody just needs to find them there are plants that are thought to be gone like uh, like a podium um, I'm sorry uh, Ligodium palmatum uh, the climbing fern was just recently refound in Vermont a couple years ago um, they also found an orchid that was thought to be gone from Vermont a little while ago I think maybe in the last year so I think that there are like I was saying earlier about you know jokingly that the state should like pay somebody to do this work um, I think with the more places you look and the more carefully you look and, and if you are that specific about I'm looking for this plant you base it off historical information find the landowners find out what the habitat looks like find out what the associated plants are go out there and try to find it and I think for the I, it feels like we're gonna have a lot of success um, most of the time if we do that as long as we're not looking for something that's so crazy like the you know passenger pigeon or something to be extreme like those are definitely gone but you know finding those plants uh, with that sort of like methodology I think is a good way to go about really determining what types of populations and what health our populations are in um, in our local surrounding areas and this can be done you know I'm getting permissions and doing these big like large scale acre surveys but you could be doing you know you know as you're walking down a trail doing a little survey of what you're seeing and what you're you know what's the new thing that you haven't seen before and what is that plant um, and then when you ID those you start seeing them more and then you sort of get a sense of like where these things are happening um, and if you are once you sort of get to a certain point and you're seeing a lot of things that you recognize those things that you've never seen before will start jumping out of you um, and that's where it kind of gets exciting and you know when you start early like everything's exciting because everything's new to you um, but I haven't found that you know my excitement has waned as I've learned more about you know my surrounding uh, ecosystem and place that I live I continually find you know new things like those two uncommon plants I found in the wetland behind my house which I've been meaning to look in for years except it just happened like in the last year that the beaver dam broke and all the water ran out of it so all these plants came back on these like sandy banks in the middle of this beaver pond and so I wanted to see what was germinating down there and it had that musk uh, monkey flower and it had that gallium trifinum in there and those are both uncommon plants so like 
and I had never seen either of those before uh, in the woods or in any wetland that I've ever been in. So, and that was happening like right behind me. And that story about the me pointing my car right at where all those plants, those Colonsonia plants were that I was looking for. Um, you know, there's like this. Once you start getting in tune with what's around you, and you start focusing on the things you know, and you just those get sort of like, you know, they sort of diminish in in their loudness, and you can start to see the things that are beyond that. Um, that's when you're going to start finding those rare Artini species plants. And so you could be doing these surveys sort of like on your own as you go hiking in the woods. You don't have to get landowner permission. Um, if it's public land, you could be finding that. And then maybe the state doesn't know about it. Maybe they do. Um, or on your own property or your neighbor's property, you know, take pictures, take good pictures. Use something like iNaturalist. And taking good pictures means like taking four photos. So a photo of plants are most easily identifiable in flower. So you want to take a picture of the flower. If it's a aster plant, you probably want to take a picture of the phylary, so that would be five pictures for that. So you want a picture of the flower, a picture of the leaves, a picture of the stem, and then a picture of the full plant. So if you can incorporate the leaf and the stem into one photo, that's great. Then take a picture of the full plant, and then back up and take a picture of the plant in its habitat of where it is. And you know, iNaturalist is a really great tool to ID all kinds of plants, um, a lot of common stuff, so it helps you get through all of your common plants right away. And then the rare stuff, you're going to have to be able to tell what you're looking at. It will, iNaturalist automatically obscures rare plant data um, so that it's private. But, uh, you know, it will if that plant has never been seen in your location before your area it won't necessarily pull it up as an option for you to id it as that so if you you need to be looking at the information on what suggestions iNaturalist is giving you and you know as long as you're sorting by you know show similar species nearby it's it's pretty much on on right on most of the time um if you sort of know it's not what this thing is iNaturalist is giving you as options you know looking deeper into that and seeing what other species like going to go botany and seeing what it'll list you know look up that genus and it'll list every species in new england of that genus and you start flipping through and looking at you know what are these things and eventually you'll find it you might have to go back i've had to revisit sites a bunch to like take measurements and like make sure I know what I'm looking at is what I think it is um, especially if it's a rare plant because you know in most cases you're going to be doing a reporting form and you want to have good photos and good GPS data and you know you want to take another look at the habitat and sort of be able to record all information so you can report it to somebody um, who's eventually going to do something with it um, so those are all you know I really want to get into like the I think this is a cool little project and I'm going to continue trying to get grant money to do it um, but part of what like I have I'm going to have stickers for sale by the time this episode airs um, I have two kinds of stickers uh, a three inch circle sticker with a, a spotted jewelweed in it um, that says plants for people too and then it says be rad and plant native underneath and those are five bucks and then I got um, seven and a half inch by like two and a quarter inch uh, black with white letters bumper stickers that say plants are people too um, those are also five bucks so if you want to buy those uh, you can just DM me and that gets it shipped to you so if you want to buy one for five bucks I'll ship it to you or two for ten I'll ship it to you um, and then that'll just help support some of my plant research uh, for next summer and additionally uh, the plants are donation the seeds are donation based so if you want any of those hit me up on Instagram or email me and then um, I am also offering sort of two types of botanical adventures for next summer booking those now is a great time to book them one is uh, an individual like day type thing where um, if you want to go out and see your property with me and we can look at a bunch of plants, ID a bunch of stuff, uh, 
take an inventory of what you have, look at your really high biodiversity areas. We can talk about land management, habitat management, uh, you know, different things we could do in different areas to diversify your habitat, species diversity, plantings, uh, you know, pollinator meadows, whatever your speed is, um, I would love to do that uh, with you. The other one is a more intense, like, multi-day visitation to your property throughout the gold growing season to get a full-blown botanical inventory um, of your land and what's occurring there and sort of a GPS map of anything that we would find that would be RTE uncommon, anything special, special habitats, um, and then also habitat recommendations, any you know invasive plant recommendations, anything that's going on that's of note, um, plus an entire species list for every species occurring on your property, which would serve as a full baseline um, for the future in your property. So you could see what's changing, uh, what's new, um, you know, and you can sort of have an idea of what state your property is in in terms of your herbaceous plants and your trees and all of your habitats combined. Um, so those are going to be some of my offerings for this year and I'm hoping to do multiple runs of stickers so I'm probably just going to make 50, I only have 100 of those stickers so 50 of each, I'm probably only going to do 50 of each every time I make them and I'm going to make them a little different every time so they'll be um, something to look forward to and keep it interesting which you can see from my intros I don't do anything the same ever. Uh, I can't, I don't, I don't think I, I think I would get bored with it and just, I don't know. I enjoy, the intros are fun to me to like start put it together and see how it all fits and then try to work that into an episode. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, this is kind of a two-parter because I just took Cece down to the vet and she is sleeping right now. She's on medication, but they said everything was okay and she kind of has a inflamed trachea which isn't great and it's causing her to have coughing fits so they put her under to get some x-rays and now she is not coughing anymore which is really good um, I'm sure you noticed in this episode that she was not coughing and we are back um, at home so I'm going to go hang out with her but thanks for listening uh, again if you guys want to reach out uh, email me plants or people to podcast at gmail.com or on instagram at plants.r.people2 um i will respond to everyone that sends me a message and uh yeah if you want that complete seed list just hit me up and I'll, I'll get that out to you hope you guys are doing well and enjoying the fall um leaf peeping season's probably just about over so if you haven't done it yet get on it and there's other things to peep out there other than trees there's tons tons of understory plants to peep so peep away see you next week